Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is brought to you by Dr. Eddie Sauer. Dr. Sauer practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group and has been my dentist for about 25 years and my kid's dentist too. He's an expert on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. And he does it so well, he actually travels all over the country and even internationally to teach other dentists how to use that technology. He's got my son Owen in Invisalign, and Owen much prefers that to metal brackets and stuff. So to learn more, visit shimandental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. Today's guest is Lytton St. Stephen. Litton works as a case manager in mental health and has one of the most fascinating Amarillo stories I've encountered so far. And that's not just me blustering at the beginning with marketing copy. Litton's story is fascinating to me. They arrived in Amarillo less than a year ago from Albuquerque in pursuit of a relationship. And when that relationship ended, Litton decided to stay in this relatively unknown place. And it was only here that Litton began to discover and embrace their true identity. Even though Amarillo is a pretty socially conservative place, a place where people like Lytton tend to stand out, the city has become immensely important in their journey. Also, I love that Lytton just casually drops references to Shakespeare and Camus in our conversation. We go deep in this one. So here's Lytton St. Stephen. Lytton St. Stephen, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm excited to yeah, be here. Yeah, me, me too. I'm uh, so, so what I usually do is uh, we will end up talking about what you're passionate about, what you do, all those things. But I like to start by asking my guest why you're here. So mm-hmm. how did you end up in Amarillo in the first place? I've heard a lot of different stories from a lot of different people why they've ended up here. A lot of people are, I, I've just always been here. For me, um, I was actually born and raised in Albuquerque in New Mexico. Okay. I spent most of my life there and in some of the surrounding cities. And then about nine months-ish ago now, I moved here to Amarillo. I initially moved here to pursue a relationship. That didn't pan out, but I got a really great job that I liked a lot, and I found just a lot of other things about Amarillo that I ended up really liking, and so I decided to stay, and thusly, I am here. And that's one reason that I'm interested to talk to you, because the majority of my guests, a lot of them have been here for a long time. They Mm -hmm. grew up here, or they've been here for several years, which gives them enough time to like really know an area. Um, you've arrived since I've even started this podcast, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm two years into this project. And, and so I think the perspective of a newcomer is like, it's valuable for, sure. for people that have lived here for so long. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that to start, like yeah. coming from Albuquerque, which is its own kind of place, mm-hmm. you know, um, still part of this region and we're familiar with it. But what did you discover here in Amarillo once you arrived here? What was the impression that you got? That's so interesting to me because so certainly Albuquerque or Albuquerque, as it's sometimes called, definitely had some kind of odd vibe. It has a lot of, you know, artists, it has the university there. So there's a lot of the student population that brings a lot of diversity to the area, which is wonderful. Um, we're also not too far from the city different uh, in Santa Fe. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of kind of, you know, we're not the mainstream kind of vibes there. And I I think that's generally true. So coming here, as you say, it's, it has similarities, but there are some, at least for me, distinct differences. I've felt that Amarillo has also changed. My perception of it has changed since I was first here. And then as I've been here, so even, even like in the less nine than months, a year, yes, I mean, which is 
I, I maybe a tribute to Amarillo and also to the people that I've met, I think has really informed a lot of my opinion about the area. And so did you have like did you know Amarillo before you came here? Had you driven through or never you know, people in Amarillo go to Albuquerque a lot. I don't <laughs> right. want to presume that Albuquerque <laughs> people are coming here, you know, to have a steak I'm or something. I'm always kind of surprised because no, I had never driven through it. I had just heard it in a song, like so many people. So I I never I really haven't driven, you know, east. Uh, I've mostly been up in kind of the northern area and like Pacific Northwest and places like that. So no, I'd never even driven through, which is really sad for like I should have done that, but I hadn't done that. So I I'm kind of surprised at how many people talk often of driving to Albuquerque and to Santa Fe. And I'm always uh, excited when that, when I hear them talk about that. Cause I, I'm, I think it's been lovely how many times, like how many people want to go to those areas. So oh, often. I'm, like I've lived here my whole life. I'm mm-hmm. super familiar with Albuquerque, yeah. Santa Fe, Angel Fire, Taos. I mean the whole area. I mean, mm-hmm. It's, it's like Amarillo West, you know, for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Which is so interesting to me that people love to go like, you know, they're there so often. Yeah, get away to the mountains. Yeah. The mountains. And that's mm-hmm. truly one of the big things I think that I would say of the differences between Albuquerque and Amarillo for me has been topography. Uh, to me, one of the most distinct differences. And I remember when I was first driving here, the very first drive, there was definitely a moment where you clearly left the mountains behind mm-hmm. or any semblance of mountains or like any montane areas at all. And then it was flatlands and and the windmills, like the and then also just the like the wind turbines as well. Right. Which are, I really have a weird fascination with those. I think they're so, I like robots and things like that already, but they have a weird kind of, you know, robotic quality and mm-hmm. they are, they're so massive and they're sort of majestic. They're similar to me in the way that they make me feel to the mountains because of that. They're, like it's hard not to look at them. Yeah. Like if there's a big mountain in the distance, you stare at that. Exactly. If there's a giant windmill, you stare it's, at that. It's a little otherworldly. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. So those are really interesting. I like those a lot. But for me, the mountains in, in New Mexico have always been a place that I would run to when I was feeling upset or like needed to be, you know, at one with nature, that mm-hmm. kind of stoic thing. Um and I've really liked it because you can hide in mountains and you can, you know, climb into them and find places to be and to be that are feel hidden to me. Whereas here, there is not, here. there's nowhere to hide. And it's really terrible for a introvert like me to like, there's no place to hide. And which has been its own kind of, you know, lovely aspect to, to Amarillo for me as well is, um, I have definitely felt like a lot more visible here than I've ever felt in New Mexico and um, in so many ways. Right. And just very, I guess, just even body wise, there's not a place to hide. And I'm very I feel very visible that way, too. Let's let's talk about that a little bit, Um, because I I know coming from Albuquerque, which is a much more diverse place, definitely politically. Amarillo has a a unique kind of diversity, but, you know, there's a lot of different cultures happening in, in Albuquerque. What did you find here, culturally speaking, or in terms of the people, you know, as opposed to the landscape? So as far as people, I mean, I think I think I first really thought that I got a real Texas vibe. I mean, there's like the big Texan, that kind of that kind of vibe to it. There's iced tea and like, you know, a lot of some twang in, in people's voices and in their the dialect and um, that I hadn't heard. It's very different, at least for just the the tonality, even yeah, things like that. So. There is a different. I know a friend of mine would say it's dialect. It's not it's not an accent. Like technically it's dialect. OK, so the dialect is definitely different. 
that's been really interesting. As far as people, I feel like Texas is kind of how anyone that's foreign to the country as a, at large always thinks of Americans as Texans. Yeah. Like that's really the vibe that they they always go for is like when they're being American, it's very Texan or like right. stereotypically it's, it's loud, Texan. It's it's Yeah, it's sort of big of and like. Bravado. Yes, there's a lot. Yeah, exactly. And so there is that. And I felt like I was expecting more of that. And there is little pieces of that here and there. But I've, by and large, not found it to be quite as stereotypically uh, Texan as I was expecting, um, there, especially Amarillo. And as I've gotten to know Texas overall just a little better, I feel like Amarillo is kind of its own uh, unique little entity within Texas. Mm-hmm. And that's been really interesting. There's a lot more um, culturally here than I was expecting, and so many more unique people doing unique and interesting and vibrant things here that I don't know that I would have expected. Yeah. There's kind of a surprising depth. There really is happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's much more than, than the uh, Amarillo by morning, you know, kind of song and vibe that George, (laughs) he he wasn't a resident. (laughs) I'd like to dig in a little bit more to that, especially you, you mentioned how you, you came here and you kind of felt like you stood out just physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, for people that, that don't know you personally, you know, you're, you're gay mm-hmm. and you're living outwardly. So in a place that is fairly conservative, religiously, politically, right. and probably has a stereotype, you know, uh-huh. as, as maybe not being as friendly as some parts of the country might sure. be like Albuquerque or, you know, anywhere on the coasts. Right. Tell me what that has been like. And, you know, I guess kind of describe that aspect of, of who you are in that story. So, Along those lines, just to kind of take the pressure off you so you're not having to describe someone that feels awkward, I think, but I'm kind of androgynous looking, I would say. I'm not a very, or not super feminine looking. And I think that contributes a lot. So I don't really have the privilege of of what's called passing uh, for those who are maybe not in the know in terms of uh, gay terminology or queer terminology. Yeah, and thanks for taking the pressure off me <laughs> to, not to describe you or know the terminology and all that you're stuff. You're a so. terrible looking person. Yeah. I think even maybe in more uh, or less conservative areas, I think that I'm maybe not the standard, uh, quote unquote, you know, I don't really adhere to like a a female, you know, uh, terminology necessarily. So I would prefer like a non-binary kind of like that androgynous thing. It works for me in terms of how I identify as well. And so I think, but I think that's reflected in how I, in my external appearance as well. So Given that, I think that it's kind of inevitable that I would stand out a little bit. Right. But I've also noticed, and I have spent a fair amount of time on the you know, Western Coast and the Pacific Northwest in that area, and I definitely stood out less there than I do here. And even in Albuquerque, which I hadn't really considered. The other thing, just a little bit on that, is that when I was in Albuquerque, a majority of my time there was spent in a queer like circle, but I didn't identify as exclusively gay or lesbian. Like, and so I didn't, my appearance has changed quite a bit also externally from when the the time that I was living in Albuquerque to here. So that probably plays some role in this, but I definitely didn't stand out as much there. And even when I've gone back to visit, I feel like I sort of blend in a little better Mm -hmm. there. It feels that way to me. I don't feel like I get as many stares or as a lot of, as many looks. I don't get as many comments about, I also have several piercings that are visible, you know, on my face. And so I don't get, as many kind of little jabs about those. Are they jabs? Um, I mean, do you feel sometimes that well, a I, comment about it is it kind of is weighted with some disapproval? Yeah, or something, it's like or? so. For well, like just recently, I was someone a gentleman asked me. So do all those uh, 
piercings or the holes in your face like help you breathe better i'm like "Mm, do you really think that's what they're real funny yeah (laughs) let's think about this um so no, I do kind of think of that. I do think that those are jabs. I don't, and I think they're intended to be. And I, I take them. I don't really mind that much. I understand that. I don't think I have a very typical appearance, which is you know intentional. And I, but I also tend to be pretty open about it. Um, you know, anything you fully embrace about yourself really can't be used to to hurt you. So I, I really adhere to that kind of idea. And I feel like it's it's protected me a lot. So it's like an emotional shield and. Um, that sounds sort of almost, you know, crustacean in terms of like a crab-like thing, but right. it's really not meant to be. I feel like I try to have a lot of give and take and flow in that. But yeah, I've definitely, I've, I've told people so often how odd it is to have spent so much of my time and my life trying to hide. Uh, I definitely had a lot of issues with like depression and anxiety. And that was a big part of it was trying not to be seen. Okay, You know, I didn't like that at all. And then coming here at this point in my life, I am probably, I feel the most visible that I've ever felt in my whole life. And weirdly, I had probably in the most comfortable with it, which to me speaks a lot to just my evolution as a person. And it's been very affirming in more ways than not. And, you know, the idea of like having people make jabs or little comments that I think aren't friendly is so much like it's not the it's not the majority at all. It's usually a rarity. It's more often that I get people commenting on that uh, they like my look or they they think my style is nice or cool or whatever, and that's so lovely to hear. Right. And it's really affirming. And 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 I mean, I just am always kind of amazed by it. I think that. Um, I also tend to have a different idea of myself, as we all do, than maybe what is what I'm projecting or what I am giving off. And so when people kind of reflect that back to you and hold up that Shakespearean mirror, it's really lovely to see, oh, that's what I'm, well, that's what I'm giving off. Yeah, that's what, that's I'm, what that's people what, see. Yeah, that's what people are seeing. I, I've talked with a lot of guests um, when we talk about the surprising diversity of Amarillo is that if you are in search of a group of people who have similar interests to you, or similar life experiences, or whatever. You can find those people in Amarillo. You mm-hmm. have to look for them. And that there's there's nobody who's like truly isolated here. And I, I wondered about being here less than a year and finding a community of people that like mm-hmm. are your people. Have, have you been able to do that here? And, and to feel like these are the people that I, I belong with, even yeah. though I'm new here. Right. Yes, I have. Very recently, honestly, I think when I first moved here, I was the most lonely I've ever been uh, in my entire life. And I honestly, I don't, I feel like I've been lonely in my life, but I did not know that level of loneliness existed. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, it was not a fun time. It was really hard. And, but I think it's also given me, because life is a bunch of contrasts and, and checks and balances. And that's what inform, they inform each other. You know, it's those, those really dark sides of life, I think that really can inform the better parts. Um, Like one of my favorite quotes is from Albert Camus, who says that there's no sun without shadow and it is essential to know the night. And I think that's why it's essential Mm -hmm. to know the night because they are checks and balances. So that dark time I think really has given me a whole new appreciation that I might not have had otherwise if I had just kind of been able to breeze in and find, Oh, this is my, these are my people. And like never had this moment of intense, you know, um, like soul, I don't know, darkening loneliness. Um, you, I mean, you followed a person here. You didn't have like 
a group of people or no. family or friends or anything. I didn't know I mean, anyone else here kind of landed all. here blind right. and then you were alone, right? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely not crying in a hotel room by myself. That's not at all what happened. So, <laughs> so no, that's true. I didn't know anybody else here except for really this one person. And so, um, and when that didn't work out, it just kind of was like, okay, I don't really know anybody here. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a whole different experience than I was expecting it to be. I had come in with this, like, one idea of what it was going to be like and it was kind of upended and into a completely different experience, which I'm really grateful for now. You know, I can look back now and say, oh, that was tough. But also I feel like it's just given me this lovely appreciation for the people that I do have in my life. So how did you find those people? Like how did, how did you dig in and, and find people that, you know, you can connect to here? The, I would say the main way that I found people has been through kind of oddly through work. I know that you recently spoke to Ashley Jordan. Yes. And she's she's a dear friend of mine as well. A and great we, guest we, on the podcast for sure. Yes, so. she's so lovely. So I went to a we went to a sex trafficking summit. Uh, we were both there and that's where I first met her. And we kind of reconnected in Amarillo uh, and that was in Lubbock. And then we were we reconnected here in Amarillo. And she introduced me to so many people that I I considered your friends now and that I, you know, love and admire. And it was really through Ashley, honestly, a lot that I always like to give her as much credit as possible because she, it was such, I think it's such a kindness Mm -hmm. to introduce people to other people. I mean, I don't think you think about that until you're in the moment and you really don't know anybody and you don't realize what a gift it is to just have someone who has connections and can say, Hey, here's this person. You might like each other yeah, or here's yeah. just this person, you know, talk, um, which is a simple thing to do, it but it can be life changing truly for somebody meeting the person or a person or somebody that's going to, you know, impact yeah. their lives. Just the opportunity to was, uh, really, really life changing for me in this moment at in time in my life. So, you know, all hail Ashley Jordan because she's lovely and, and she just gave me such a wonderful gift. And so, so many of the people that I know and love now are as a direct result of just having met Ashley. So that's the main way. I feel like, as you say, there are kind of groups sometimes. Uh, of course, we all have the work group and then, you know, like a social group. Right. But there are so many lovely people I work with as well who've, you know, given me um, so much community and outside of work even and are just really, I'm so grateful to know them. And they've been also instrumental in kind of just helping me form a community, which, you, again, I never thought about this until I, because I lived my whole life in mostly Albuquerque. And so I knew people since forever and right. I never didn't know people. And all my family is in Albuquerque. And so, you know, it was never a thing that I even thought about. And then I moved here and I was like, I know no one. Right. Absolutely no one. And it's like, how do you create community out of nothing? And I hadn't ever considered that. But it is it is a task unto itself. And it's a really, um, I think, can be a really lovely and like very, um, again, affirming task to to have created community when you didn't have anything. You've mentioned work before. Um and I know that there are some limitations on, on how you can talk about your job and what you do. Um, but tell me what you do here and sort of how that has, has kind of tied you to this area. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you need a route to, to dig in yes. and, and to really be connected here. Um, so, so tell me what developed with that. So once I, once I moved here, uh, well, before I moved here, I started looking around to kind of see what would be in my field. I, I have uh, my degrees in psychology, and that's kind of the main place that, that I've 
in that field is where I've really worked. And so I was a psychometrist back in Albuquerque. And um, Wait, what's a psychometrist? A psychometrist is a... I, th- I thought I'd heard all the terms, but that's yeah, one so I don't one know. That people, <laughs> yeah, it's an odd one. It's basically what I, do, what I did there was I would uh, administer and score neuropsychological tests. Okay. So it would be kind of the instrumental portion of diagnosing someone with, for instance, dementia or, okay. you know, learning disorders. Um, I did a lot of forensic testing there as well. So I would, you know, um, test folks who were kind of in justice involved situations, especially when they were needing that for like a court case or something like that. Okay. If they were in the middle of litigation, like they would come and we would do a forensic evaluation. And um, so I did kind of the, the grunt work of that. And then I moved here, and so I was looking at kind of similar things. I'd also kind of um, had some experience running like a research lab at, at, at the University of New Mexico before that while I was in college. So I had some experience with data and things like that. Anyway, I was looking around here at psych and things that maybe had something to do with data and psychology. And I found a, a really interesting nonprofit that um, kind of like the local mental health authority here or one of the local mental health authorities and what I basically do is I kind of work in criminal justice reform now. Okay. That's a good broad heading for what I do. Right, right. And what, more specifically, I work as a forensics case man, like a forensic case manager within the local mental health authority, um, within, the, within the entity, and which is a, as most, um, uh, I think, mental health authorities tend to be their non, it's a nonprofit here, which is always really, you know, great to, to see that those yeah. are operating. Um, Emerald has a lot of, they do, which is so, I think that's really great. I was, that's one thing. Another thing I was really surprised at is finding out how many nonprofits are, or, yeah. are you know, operating within the area. Definitely didn't see that coming. And I've, it's been so pleasing to see. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a good general idea of what okay. I, okay. So, so give, you know, knowing that, that broad sort of category, give me an idea of, of, of what you do, you know, maybe from week to week, what are mm-hmm. some of the things you find yourself doing and, and some of the people that you're serving with, okay. with your work? If I may, to that end, I would kind of like to go back a little bit to kind of the creation of the job that I hold now. Okay. I think it was born of tragedy and has become, um, it's kind of transcended that I, I like to think, or it's in the process of transcendence. So, I don't know if you're familiar with the Sandra Bland Act. It's Senate Bill 1849. Yeah, so I've, I've heard you've of it, heard but of, okay. I, I don't, that, that's as far as my okay. knowledge goes. Which so. is good. You've heard of it. Um, so it was passed in, in 2017, and it was it basically it was kind of is a call for like a, just a lot of changes to the, like the way that mental health authorities operate, and specifically within like a justice involved program, so within jails and things like that. So a lot of, some of the changes that were kind of called for were affecting Texas County jail operations and jail standards. Um, the kind of key component of the Sandra Bland Act was that the Code of Criminal Procedure was amended to require that the sheriff had to provide written or electronic notice of potential mental illness to the magistrate within 12 hours rather than 72 hours. Just, I don't, based on the Sandra Bland, what happened with Sandra Bland in Waller County, Texas, when she was pulled over for a failure to indicate a lane change. Yeah, um, I mean, what, what is that story? What's the tragedy that, that happened there? So Sandra Bland, um, was a 28-year-old black woman. She, around July 10th of 2015, she was kind of driving through uh, the area in Waller County, Texas. Uh, She was subsequently booked into a county jail and I believe on suspicion of uh, assault of a police officer or of a peace uh, Hmm. officer of the peace. 
So we all know that there's video footage of that that was taken by a bystander at the time. So we have a good indication of what actually happened for the, with during the arrest. You know, she had a cigarette that she was smoking in the car. He asked her to put it out. Um, she asked why she needed to do that within her own vehicle, and it became an altercation. She was pulled out of the car, you know, by force. There's a lot of that there. She was then booked into the jail, and by so that was on July 10th, and then mm-hmm. by July 13th, we know she was dead. The official kind of indication was that she had died by suicide within the jail cell. There's a lot of questions around that. You know, if that's the case, why was there bruises on her body? And, you know, why was she also left without uh, they if it came to light later that they um, the jail themselves came back and said, well, she had said that she had some mental health issues. that She'd indicated a, a history of depression. She had attempted suicide after a miscarriage, you know, several years before. So. Of course, she committed suicide, and they are kind of like, well, if that was the case, why wasn't why wasn't she being monitored for that then? If mm-hmm. uh, if we knew she had a history of mental health uh, or mental illness, and like her mental health wasn't the greatest, so then why why was she left unattended, and why weren't we monitoring that? There was no, you know, video monitoring of her cell or anything like that. So it's to me highly questionable to say that she did commit suicide. And and so her story you know, sort of led to the passage of this Senate yeah, bill. Right. Um, so tell me, I mean, for people that, that are not in the, that world or don't know what you know, like, like what was, what's the problem that that bill is intended to solve or to address? It's you know? really basically to kind of um, make sure that we are addressing uh, mental illness folks who come in. It's also meant to kind of address any kind of uh, intellectual disabilities as well. So we're not just sort of letting these folks come in and be unattended. And it's, it's really... It kind of the passage of the Sandra Bland Act itself of that Senate bill led to two the passage of two other bills. So like there's a House Bill 13, which is the Community Mental Health Grant Program, which is meant to kind of look at like supporting community programs that provide mental uh, health care services and treatment to individuals with mental illness, and then sort of coordinating mental health care services for those individuals with mental illness uh, with other transitional like support services. So that's one. And then the second one, which is kind of the, the grant that I tend to work under, is uh, Senate Bill 292, which is a jail diversion grant. And it's kind of trying to look at uh, – it's a mental health care grant, so it, it looks specifically for folks who are in justice-involved um, situations okay. or justice-involved individuals. So it kind of look it's like a community-based uh, community collaboratives to reduce recidivism um, in the jails by decreasing the frequency of arrest and incarceration – among people with mental illness. And it's also kind of looking at reducing also the total wait time for people uh, with mental illness who are placed on like a forensic commitment uh, to a state hospital. It really looks a lot at kind of keeping people in care, not in jail. Right. So that's kind of like... Because a, for a long time, like jail it. was a solution for all yeah. kinds of things. I and mean, it still it, is, yeah. truly. Um, it, it is the number one place where people receive health care or mental health care mm-hmm. in particular, um, which is terrible. It shouldn't be a jail. And we're that this Senate bill is also really geared at trying to help reduce that. And so, you know, some of the things that are involved in like the... The Senate bill in particular is kind of looking at, like, again, the education, making sure they have access to mental health care professionals within the jail. So a lot of things like I do, for instance, would be like I specialize in folks who have a co-occurring psychiatric and substance use disorder. So I try to engage those folks, you know, usually when they're in kind of a justice involved situation and then um, kind of helping follow them out once they're released into the community and trying to help with things like employment and okay. um, making sure that their health care and mental health care is provided. 
provided for and, and addressed. Because that transition itself is really hard. It really is, I mean, yeah. just getting back into the real it's world. It's hard for a, a quote-unquote healthy person right. or like a neurotypical person versus someone who's dealing with a severe mental illness and, you know, a substance abuse disorder. Like, those are two big ones that would be hard for anyone to deal with. And then you've got the the justice system involved on top of that. And we all know just from if you've ever had, like, a traffic ticket or something like that, how they just – those issues compound like crazy. So, the you know, the more serious your charges, like, are, the more that those are going to compound. Right. You have a lot to navigate plus your own mental health, you know, and that's quite a lot. So it's really just trying to help folks – manage their mental health, manage the kind of legal aspects that they might be uh, dealing with as well. And then of course the substance use uh, additionally. So we look at kind of a, we're looking at more of a holistic, you know, broader kind of approach to individuals as opposed to just being like, well, we're just going to treat the mental health and then like their mental illness and we're going to treat that and like forget about everything yeah, else. Right. Because it doesn't it's connected work. to everything Right. Else. And it just, we know it doesn't work. You know, we know, and, and then mental health and like mental illnesses and, and substance abuse disorders, those two tend to really go hand in hand. We, you, you almost never see one without the other. Uh, and if you see such like mental or like substance use, you almost always are going to be dealing with some sort of mental illness as well. So traditionally those would, they would try to separate those two. Mm -hmm. And this is really geared at let's treat both. Let's do our best to treat both and then see if we can kind of arrest some of that recidivism and arrest some of the, just the, the back and forth into the, you know, the jails and things like that here. That's kind of the, what was geared toward mainly. So you're working with people who are, dealing with stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's it's a hard you're working with people who have who've had a hard time in life, for right. sure. Is do you see your job like is is it a difficult job for you mentally, psychologically, spiritually, or is is it like a hopeful job where you're helping take them maybe to a better place? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I'm just thinking about the toll that it takes, you know, to do the kind of work that you do day in and day out. Um, you mm -hmm. know, what kind of gives you fulfillment about about that work? So, I mean, you're definitely, you're definitely on the money because it, it can be very draining uh, in many ways, physically, uh, psychologically, emotionally, because you are dealing with folks who definitely need the help. And it's hard to see that if you, you know, are in possession of a bleeding heart as I am. Um, and many people in the field are because they truly want to change things. You're mm -hmm. not really, I can guarantee with psych in general, you're not in it because you are in it for the money. Like it's not a thing yeah. that happens because you're like, I'm going to make so much money <laughs> in psychology. That's not a thing that <laughs> happens at all. So, uh, you have to be in it for very different reasons. And, um, and most folks are, so it does have a, it can take a toll. And so there's a really, I think it's important to think about a lot about addressing your own needs, making sure that you're kind of being good about, I really kind of hate to use the term self care because I feel like it has been co-opted into a more, I don't know, sort of a, there's a facade to it that like I go don't do love. some yoga and that's right. Like go take a bubble bath and yeah. eat some chocolate and go shopping at target or something. And it's like, no, nah, I don't know. I think it should go a little bit deeper than that. Truly self, what real self care in my opinion should be is a lot about, you know, um, looking at your own traumas because those can have take so many roots. Like there is, I think we think of trauma as like, Oh, this one event happened and therefore you have a trauma associated right. with it, but trauma and there's micro traumas and all sorts of things that we're, that we're dealing with that um, just as people and depending on who you are has a lot to do with the kinds of traumas that you're 
going to be experiencing. And I think a lot of self-care is really addressing the traumas that you have and also a lot of self-forgiveness and trying to address that and kind of move past it in your own way. Like understand these things, you know, forgive yourself, forgive other people in your life as well as you can. And I think that's what true self-care is. It's a lot of really deep understanding of yourself more than just take a bubble bath yeah. and eat some chocolate. But you, know? you have to have that sort of self preservation yeah. protection you know to to continue doing that you kind do. of hard work absolutely yeah i think if you you have to have a certain amount of distance from it which is i think that distance or lack thereof is the really hard thing to navigate in this field because you don't want to have too much distance because then you're not involved and you you can maybe lack the ability to care or you yeah. you know you lose that the true caring that you really need to have. You don't want to be like a cold bureaucrat who's just... No, and you don't want to just be looking at the hard facts and just numbers and things like that because it doesn't work that way. These are real people and, you know, the folks that you tend... I'm tending to deal with are are very real people, you know, and they have very real issues and you can't not care about that. I think, I think it's essential to care about that and also, you know, for many folks in the the field and in the industry, it's really something that you can't... It comes naturally already. I mean, that's why they're there. And so... There is, I think, just navigating that distance. You also have to be kind of close to it, and you kind of have to retain a little bit of uh, emotional space for yourself okay. to operate in. Otherwise, um, that's you can get really burnt out very quickly. Yeah, you know. All right, so I, I want to make a, a transition, and maybe this is like a, a hard and awkward transition, but maybe it's tied to some of this other stuff. So, your name, Lytton Saint Stephen, mm-hmm. it's a su- super cool name. Thank you. Um, but it's not your original birth true. name. Right. And so as I understand it, like you're you're sort of in the, the legal process of, of changing, you know, from what you're named by your parents to to who you are today. Mm-hmm. So tell me tell me about that and why go through that process and, and sort of what it means for you. OK, it is super exciting. Um, it's been a really big component of kind of, again, that embracing who I am, you know, that trying to find that authenticity within ourselves. I'm a really big adherent to uh, to schools of philosophical thought, like stoicism and to existentialism. And I feel like it has a lot to do with that for me. And it's been a kind of a lifelong interest. And I feel like the main thing within those is really to kind of find, you know, uh, to be true to yourself. Being true to yourself is kind of the way to find true synchronicity with nature. And so to that end, with the the name, my given name, um, I think the main component about it was that it was, for one, a very gendered name, Mm -hmm. um, which I, and I don't identify with any one gender primarily over the other. So if you think about the gender binary being male, female, I don't really adhere to either one of those. And so I I identify more as somewhere under a kind of gender queer umbrella, which would encompass things like gender fluidity and non-binary, things like that. So that's kind of more where I tend to live and operate. Um, That was one. I didn't love the genderedness of it. Do you want to say what your original name was or is that like in the past and it's... I don't mind saying it. I don't often say it, but yeah, it it was Sandra was my first name and last name was Santa Stevan. And so... Uh, I didn't love the genderness of my first name, okay. so I went away, for, got away from that. And then the second part of that was that I think I may have would have been able to maybe reconcile myself with that if I had some sort of deeper ties to my family, maybe for instance. But truly, the only tie really was that my mother named me. You know, okay. um, I think that's all. It wasn't the name didn't have any deep history or anything like that. There's no one. There's no one else in my family named Sandra. It was 
my mother always says it was na- I was named after the the nurse that delivered me. So who she didn't know or anything. Okay. So it was kind of like okay, like I don't not know, a great like, story. Really think this one through that. Yeah. So um, that was kind of like there was nothing really keeping me there. And I've never loved the name. And so I had always, honestly, for as long as I can really remember, I had wanted to, I would call myself other names. I wanted a different name. I was always thinking about what name I actually wanted to be called. And it has taken me a good 33 years to figure out what name I actually wanted, you know, that I it felt any connection to. And I think it was a lot of that was really kind of, I'm glad I waited and didn't just sort of change it like kind of a spur of the moment because I think I really needed to identify that I was non-binary and that I didn't adhere to either of the gender, you know, binary so that I could, I think that was a big component of really deciding what name I actually wanted and felt any connection to. And so Lytton was a name that I've always been very interested in the like Virginia Woolf and, um, the, the Bloomsbury group. And so, which had a lot of different, you know, uh, figures within it. Yeah. And so I've always liked a lot of them. And so Lytton Strachey is, was an author at the time who was part of the Bloomsbury group. And he, he's probably most well known for his biography of Queen Victoria. Um, he really changed how biographies were written at the time. He added a lot of kind of uh, deep psychological insight com- paired with wit and, and uh, humor. And so that was, just not done at the time. And so he was really well known in the circles for that. He also has a really just, I think a very lovely epistolary that he, that is, you know, has been maintained. And so posterity gets that. And and that's really lovely to read through as well. Um, He just wrote amazing letters. And so that's really fun to read too. But anyway, he he was one that I, I really always liked his, his writing style. And I definitely, you know, have always loved Virginia Woolf and all of those as well. So Lytton comes from Lytton Strachey and I've had a, just a deep connection to him and to that whole kind of um, group for, I I think since I really kind of attained a adult consciousness, you know, I, my last name, St. Stephen is, is the English, um, version of Santa Esteban. Um, Santa Esteban is, uh, Spanish. It it means St. Stephen, (laughs) really literal translation, translation. I kept Stephen spelled with a PH because Virginia Woolf's maiden name was Stephen. Okay. Uh, spelled with a PH and I've always truly loved her. So put that together and that's, where Lytton St. Stephen came from. Does Was that in process before you moved here? I mean... It, it, no. Or was uh, that like... That happened post? here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does, does this coming to Amarillo, changing your name, building a new community, mm-hmm. I mean, does it feel like a, a starting over for you oh. in a way? Or a culmination, maybe, of the direction you were headed? That's a really good question. I hadn't thought about that necessarily in those terms. I think honestly what it is more than anything, more than really something new is more a, an acceptance of myself. Okay. Like my true self, who I most want to be, who I most truly am. And I, I, it's one reason I've come to have so much affection for Amarillo is because it really has become a symbol of, for me, of, where I, I really came into my own. I came into myself. I came into who I think I was supposed to be and who I, who I actually am. I haven't really had, I haven't been here. I haven't had to, like, I've always been openly gay and I've always kind of just been as much myself as I think it's possible to be here. And, uh, versus in Albuquerque, I had just a very, you know, tumultuous history with my identity and who I thought I was, who I wanted to be, who I felt I should be a lot of, you know, compulsory things, uh, in terms of identity and, um, I just in Albuquerque. So 
I love Alperky dearly, but there's a lot there for me psychologically, I guess you could say. Okay. And so here it's been really lovely because I feel like I've been, it's, I have so much affection for Amarillo because I, I am who I am here and I've always been this in, in this, within this space. And so, yeah, which is odd because I think that Amarillo has this uh, feeling of being sort of, as you say, kind of more conservative. A lot of people would not, leave here in right, order to, and find, to exactly. find themselves. And, yeah. and you've come here to do it. So. Which is often how I think I've tended, have ha- had the tendency to do things in my life unintentionally I do it the difficult way or like the what most people would consider a backwards way I just I choose the hard paths unintentionally all the time so anyway here I am but yeah that's been an interesting uh, component of Amarillo for me in particular this episode of Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Amber Morgan and the Manny Camper Amber is the city's most creative nail artist at Ugly Press Salon She takes private appointments there, but also comes to you through the Manny Camper, which is a mobile nail salon that's perfect for birthday parties, bridal and bachelorette parties, girls' night out, employee appreciation, and a lot more. My wife and my daughter both go to Amber to get their nails done and absolutely love her. Go to themannycamper.com or follow the Manny Camper on Instagram. And if you're interested, check out Amber's Hey Amarillo interview from back in February of 2018. And also, just a, a personal request for me, if you don't mind. If you're a fan of this show, please leave a review about it, somewhere that people can see it. Maybe that's on the Hey Amarillo Facebook page. Maybe it's a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Maybe it's you screenshotting the episode and sharing it on your Instagram story. Whatever the case, one of the best ways for people to discover the show is when it's someone other than me talking about it. And one more thing. Sponsorship and support keeps this show afloat. So if you know a business that sponsors the show, tell them thank you. And if you know a business that you think would be a good fit as a Hammerillo sponsor, suggest it to them. That's all. Back to the show. Okay, I'm back with Lytton St. Stephen. Uh, Lytton, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you as my guest eight straight questions. Your job is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. Okay. All right. So we will start uh, with a question that I've asked uh, of a lot of guests, but this is the first time I've asked actually all these questions of somebody who's so new to the area. So I'm I'm really interested to see what you say. What's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo? Okay. So I think that the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo has to me been the the entrepreneurial spirit that I find here. I'm so impressed with how many people are so motivated to start their own businesses, to do their own thing, more than I've seen in other places I've lived, for sure. And I did also, that was another thing that has really surprised me here. I would not have picked that out as a thing that I would say, this is definitely going to be something I'll find in Amarillo. But I have, and it's been amazing. And it's that I'm so risk taking pioneer kind of spirit. It I think, is. That- you're right. Yeah. Okay. That, that's, that's interesting to hear mm-hmm. um, because we talk about that a lot here as insiders, you know, and, right. it, and I, I think it's cool that someone who's becoming an insider, but not quite there yet, you mm-hmm. know, is, is seeing that too. That's so. kind of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're not an outsider. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? I had a question about what constitutes a restaurant. I'm going to just go with it serves food. Okay. So I'm going to say the 806. Okay. Um, and just as a little fun fact, the 806 was the first place that um, I went to when I got here to Amarillo. That wasn't a gas station. And um, so I have just a real soft spot for the 806 and, and for Jason and Courtney. There. That's a good place. I mean, it's a nice soft uh, landing yes. because it's 
it's it's got a quirkiness and a character mm-hmm. to it that, that feels a little bit different from yes, the rest of the city. Yes, it does. Yeah, I felt it a little bit at home there. What's so. your order there? I mean, what, what kind of food do you like there? Um, I really like their brunch. They have a great brunch. And I also really like that they have some vegan and sort of vegetarian options that are really, you don't, that's been hard to find yeah. here also. <laughs> so much meat here, which I get. It's great meat, I'm sure, but I'm not a big meat eater. I wouldn't call myself a vegan or vegetarian, but I definitely lean toward that side. So okay. it's really nice that they have options like that. And of course, you know, they, they just do such a great job with it. And they, I feel like they actually care about the things that they're serving and the people that they that they are feeding. And okay. It's really lovely. What does this area have too much of? Homogeneity. Okay. <laughs> um, I think there's just too much of sort of the same kind. And you can maybe find little pods, but then that are, the pod is different, but within the pod, there's a lot of the same kind of thing. It's very, there's not a lot of diversity within the, within those pods, I guess I would say. Okay. So I feel like it's, you know, whether it's like uh, people's looks maybe or their attitudes or politics or, you know, religion or things like that. It's, I feel like you could, you could easily pick out there are, you know, think about, I don't know, maybe churches. There's these many churches that have this very similar, maybe even title or like the right. name of the church is very, very similar. Or you look at like a certain kind of look, there's a very, you know, uh, like a faux kind of jewelry thing that kind of happens and which is, it has its own beauty. Believe sure. me, kitschy is its own, you know, has its own kind well, of I mean, quality it, to it. But I, I think of Santa Fe, you know, kind yes, of the same way. Exactly. It, it's just a different style. It, so. That's very true. And it's, it, I would say I want every place I'm in to have a little more, you know, heterogeneity. Okay. Just to go the opposite form yeah. of that. Yeah. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Uh, back to, I guess I kind of answered my own question, that question, right? Heterogeneity. I think it needs to be, I would love to see a little more difference, like a little more, I would love actually really like to see more, like, I, I don't know how to say this, uh, intermingling, you know, like a cross I'm not sure of the pods. Say. Yeah. You know, maybe the, the pods could intermingle a little more. I think that would be interesting. It would be, those would be interesting combinations. If you took these kind of little homogenous pods and then smashed them all together and see what would come out. I think that would be super interesting. And I think we spend so much time trying to, you know, be a very particular kind of person or thing or have a very particular idea. And I think we could all just be interesting AF and I'm not going to say that word, but you know, we could all be super interesting. And I think we spend so much time trying to fit in that well, we just forget we, about how interesting we could be. And we find our people mm-hmm. and we just stay with those people, you right. know, and, and it, it can be personally beneficial to find those people, but it can also be isolating if you don't ever reach outside of those groups. True, so. true. Yeah. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? And so, you know, thinking of people maybe that you knew before you moved here and they're yeah. like, where, where is this place that you're living in now? You know, yeah. how do you, how do you talk about it? And that definitely happened. Um, because a lot of people I knew were like Amarillo, really? Like what? Even where even is that? Uh, which is maybe I wasn't talking to the right people if they don't even know where Amarillo is. But I would say that's another kind of uh, just a two part answer for me. One is the Amarillo that I think I would have described when I first moved here within like the first you know five months ish. I would have said to me that it felt very stereotypically Texan. Um, I remember I saw a raffle at a taco villa for, and the prize was a shotgun. And I was, that blew my mind. I was like, a shotgun is the prize that just seems so Texan to me. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. It does seem, I'm surprised that taco (laughs) villa is the place that you saw that, but that's, that's fine. And then I saw, uh, oh, and then just raw beef at community markets. I think I even put it on my Instagram story at the time. It was kind of like, 
what is going on here? This is wild. Texas is wild. Like there's raw beef here. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, now I, that I've been here a little bit of time and have been to, you know, the community market has kind of come back. It's, I see it and I'm just like, okay, now I have a better context for it. But at the time I just thought it was absolutely wild. So I think I would have just been telling people that it's Texas as you always thought it was. There's a lot of Christian values and big hair and like the big Texan. And, you know, I would have said some closed mindedness and, you know, like, I don't know, I even that there was an iced tea, like a dedicated iced tea shop, I guess right. we refer it. And I, I thought that was with just like, a plethora of different flavors for tea and it was iced tea, which was, I would have always thought maybe it was, you know, hot tea or something. Yeah. No. It, and so that would have been one, that was like one Amarillo. And, and Justin how the proprietor has been a guest actually on this podcast. Oh, okay. talked about how <laughs> Amarillo was a perfect place to start that concept because people are so passionate about it here. Clearly. So, yeah. Cause it, I see it everywhere. Yeah. But so that would be the first like Amarillo in the first, let's say four or five months when I was here. And then now I honestly have to say that, now that I've been here about nine months-ish, you know, I feel like I just see a lot more um, individuality. I see a lot of, like, unique folks with very specific visions doing really interesting and involved community-based projects. The community focus, I would say, is, like, the big thing that I just talk about now when I talk about Amarillo. I see so many people who are really invested in both what I would call kind of the tangible and the abstract concepts of Amarillo. Okay. I feel like Amarillo... I've just never heard so many people have so many different conversations and so many different groups of people have different conversations about um, Amarillo as a concept. It's almost like Amarillo is sort of a like simultaneously this rambunctious teenager and like this elderly aunt that we have so much affection for. And they talk about how do how do we you know, how do we help this city come up? How do we guide it in the right direction? There's that rambunctious teenager. And then Mm -hmm. there's the elderly aunt. And it's kind of how do we cradle these softer parts and these more, you know, antique aspects to Amarillo? And how do we preserve it? And how do we how do we help it land gently? And how do we preserve, you know, the history of it and help that, you know, become something that future generations will see and appreciate and admire. And um, so it's I, I always feel like to me, I feel like when people talk about Amarillo here, they're talking about almost a living, breathing entity. Yeah. You know, if I didn't know, I would have been like, you know, I would be questioning who is Amarillo because that's, it, that's it's, really interesting to hear. Yeah. Like people so definitely um, to talk about it now. Yeah. People, it's it's not just like where you live. Like it's it's a place, and it's a place that has a, a deep, deep co- connection to like who you are. Mm-hmm. I think, and and so yeah, it's it's interesting that people. Or that you hear people and it sounds like they're talking that way. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like I hear that so much now and it's, it's so interesting to me. Okay, so you, you mentioned the Big Texan. I usually ask my guests, when was the last time you went to the Big Texan? Mm-hmm. I don't want to presume that you've been there yet. I mean, you haven't been here That's very long. That's a good presumption because I have not you been You have there. not. I've never been to the Big Texan. Did you have any like perspective on it? Had you heard of it before you came here? No. Uh, I mean, you'd seen the signs, that. though, along I-40 coming you know, to Amarillo about I'm the sure steak. that I did and it never registered <laughs> i was like it's a beef place i don't know texas whatever um now and now i have a better idea of it and i i hear so like the 72 ounce steak of course right. is notorious and um i would love to get there and see someone attempt that because it will blow my mind i already know to have to see someone even try to eat that much meat it's worth crazy. it for the spectacle you yeah. know whether you you eat anything or not right. you know, <laughs> go drink a beer there at the at the brewery there, so. exactly now after you know the what was it, the beer fest yes yeah. that was really cool i did not know that they had their own beer one actually the first independent brewery in amarillo which is really yeah. cool so now i feel like i, I definitely yeah. have to go got to go there yeah 
What's your favorite coffee shop in Amarillo? I know you've already talked about the 806. I mean, is, is that your coffee shop? Or Oh, man. I honestly have, I'm hard-pressed to think of anything. I I just, I do love the 806. So I would say that's my favorite coffee shop. It's definitely a go-to for me. I, I go there often if I think about, you know, when I'm deciding where I want to go, if I want to get out and just kind of be around people but not really have to necessarily interact, but I'm also open to it, the 806 is just a great okay. place to go. So. Okay, and this is another question that you know um, people who have lived here a long time tend to have a, a hard opinion about. Um, I don't know about you, so Pack-a-Sack or Toot and Totem? Are oh. you a patron of either one of those exclusively? Um, I will be honest. I'm not a big um, like convenience store goer. Um, hello, privilege. I think um, so. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm going to just go with. The my new Mexican answer was would be all subs. Okay, right. that's that's legit. <laughs> um, that's the one I've been in most. So. People in Amarillo do uh, definitely know all subs. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> all right, uh, Litton. That concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what okay. is uh, one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience related to this area? Um, this is sort of near and dear to my heart as a general rule, but. Um, what I would really like to endorse in Amarillo are female-led businesses, whether it's independent folks kind of doing their own thing with their own business or, or just businesses that definitely are, you know, the main proprietors of, is of female. That would be great. I think um, I have some in particular. Um, my personal favorite, of course, is Angelina Marie with Short Yard Dog. I you can support that. You can't get better than that. She's lovely in so many ways, and I can't speak highly enough about her. Amber Morgan with The Manny Camper. Yeah. She's a lovely person. Also- she does. Really quality work. Uh, someone who's been on this podcast. Yes, yeah. I listened to her podcast. She's she's so she's wonderful. I love her. Rachel Edwards, of course, I know has also been on the podcast. Are you just going to name all of my I'm just podcasts? Name everyone guests? that's been on the okay, podcast. Go ahead. So. Keep going. Um, I also want to talk about um, Sarah and Stacy Hooten with that weird place. You can find them on Instagram at that weird place and on uh, Facebook. Um, they do great vegan food, and they're wonderfully delightful, passionate people about veganism and whether it's the politics of it, and also just finding healthy alternatives that you really don't find often here in Amarillo. And so go support that weird place. Um, you know, Spike Darling over at Pristine Piercing. She's doing cool stuff. I love I love a good piercing. So go see her. Um, Hillary Marie is a wonderful, yeah. you know, musician here. And she's doing great, great things to support her, book her, get people. I just, I really want to see more women. Also, um, I'm, if I mispronounce her names, I'm going to apologize beforehand. But Shanice Michelle and uh, Michael Fox, who run the eatery in yeah. 66, definitely them as well. So I would just say any other any other women you guys you know, that are female led businesses and, and proprieties like that's definitely someone I would love to endorse for people to support and to show you know support in real ways spend your money there okay book them you know find them collaborate with them especially for as men in the field I think it's super important to advocate for the women around and who don't always have that leg up that men get because especially one thing I found here and it's not the most positive thing has been there's a little bit of a boys club sometimes and I think it's so important to advocate for the women that you do know who who really could maybe use that just like a little bit of involvement just a, a seat at the table you know that's the that's the I think for all of us who have any amount of privilege is making room on our platform for mm-hmm. those who don't have the same privileges, who don't have the same benefits that we've had, finding room for them at the table, because I guarantee we will all benefit from that. The more diversity we have, the more inclusion that we have, no one can lose from that. So that's, that's a good word. I, like I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Lytton St. Stephen, thanks for being on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. 
And that concludes the episode. First, thanks to Dr. Eddie Sauer at Shimon Dental Group and Amber Morgan with The Manny Camper for sponsoring the episode. And thanks especially to Litton for the interview. Also want to say thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode. And all my gratitude goes out to my executive producers, Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Chris Selda, Jason Burr, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Patrick Burns, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, and Wilson Lemieux. All of those names, all those folks, support the show through patreon.com slash hamarillo. And if you love the show, you can do that too. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 107. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.